Maritime survives stormy seas and is now riding high. Are trade policies with China resulting in more reshoring? And will we see any capacity improvements in the truckload sector? Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by DCV-TV. Five channels of streaming video are yours for the viewing on DCV-TV. Major improvements have been made to the DCV-TV platform to enhance the viewing experience, provide greater search capabilities, and to expand the capacity of the video library well beyond the 3,000 plus videos already in the archive. Be sure to check it all out at dcvtv.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, how are America's ports and the maritime industry faring nearly a year into the COVID-19 pandemic? Join us today to talk about that and more is Joe Ruddy, the Chief Information Officer for the Port of Virginia. Welcome, Joe. Glad to have you with us. Thanks, Dave. Thanks uh, for having me today. For those who are not familiar with the Port of Virginia, can you share a little bit about your operations? Sure, Dave. Uh, we are a um, we are a uh, division of the Commonwealth of Virginia, and we operate marine terminals for them. We operate uh, six facilities throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. We operate uh, Norfolk International Terminals, Virginia International Gateway, Newport News Marine Terminal, Portsmouth Marine Terminal. We also have a facility in Richmond, the Richmond Marine Terminal, that is served by a uh, three times weekly barge up the James River. And then, of course, we have our Virginia Inland Port, which is a rail serve facility in Front Royal, Virginia. And, of course, Norfolk is the biggest of those. And 2020 was quite a year for the maritime industry. Early in the year, the ocean carriers were actually canceling sailings as capacity was down. Then the pandemic hit, and demand really dropped off the cliff, only to return with a vengeance later in the year um, as uh, inventories were ramping back up for the holiday season. And and uh, more was being produced overseas following the shutdowns in China. So that left operators and ports to the ability where they were having trouble keeping up. What was it really like to ride that roller coaster all last year? So, Dave, for us, uh, first and foremost, I would say uh, paramount was the safety of our colleagues. Uh, we imparted um, procedures, uh, heavy cleaning procedures. We, uh, we had um, uh, temperature testing procedures because we knew how important it was for us to be remain fluid from a personnel perspective. So that was our first thought. Secondly, we have been working diligently since 2016, investing over $850 million in our facilities. We were ready for both the downturn and for the, uh, the increase that we're seeing right now, this four or five month really uh, muted increase. So what we've been able to do is prepare ourselves continue our construction efforts, complete our projects, and continue to make sure that all our equipment was properly properly maintained. And so that when that surge did return, that we were prepared for it. And I will tell you, we have been as fluid as we have ever been, even with all the new systems that we have begun using uh, at uh, our two main container facilities, which is Virginia International Gateway and Norfolk International Terminals. Were there any particular steps that you took to, to be able to handle that, that huge volume that all the operators found in the fall? 
Yeah, I think for, for us, so uh, if you look at our profile of freight, we're about 65% truck, about 33% uh, rail freight, and uh, the remaining two, two and a half percent is uh, that barge traffic that I spoke about earlier. Two, two major items. First of all, uh, we have uh, about two and a half years ago, we started a reservation system. Our reservation system uh, allows us to understand what is being delivered to the facility and what is being um, uh, taken away from the facility. We groom our stacks to ensure uh, for an ultimate experience for our motor carrier. And as a result, and, our, and our, our, um, it is required to have a reservation from when we wake up in the morning at, uh, at five o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon. And then we have a couple of hours where truckers can come and go without reservations. But what we're seeing is an all-in turn times. That is the time they get off the highway to the time they leave our facility of 40 minutes or less. That's 92% of our trucks do that. We've also been able to reduce our rail dwells because we have new systems at both VIG and NIT. We, uh, we use a platform called N4, it's a Navispace system. And we are seeing rail dwells of less than 35 hours. The time that, from the time that unit comes off the, um, comes off the ship and gets on a, a train and, and sends it into the Midwest, it's less than 35 hours from the time and we get it on, on that train. And you've made a lot of investments, too, over the past few years, anticipating the widening of the Panama Canal for anticipating a lot of larger volumes coming through to East Coast ports, uh, channel deepening and uh, addition to berths. Uh, how is that going? And, and did that help you to be able to handle some of that capacity? It really did, uh, Dave. Uh, when John Reinhardt came in in 2014, uh, we were determined to ensure that our facilities were modernized. So uh, what we've been able to do is we've added over 400 uh, containers of capacity at NIT and about 675,000 containers of capacity at VIG. Uh, along with our dredging project, which is, uh, um, is already begun, uh, it's a $375 million uh, project where we'll deepen to 55 feet, um, we were able to anticipate volumes increasing. And so as a result of that investment, the investment on the land side, the investment um, on the water side, We've been able to not only uh, handle the the, um, the increased volume, but we've also been able to do it in a world-class fashion. I'll also tell you that our effort outside the gate on our, our road infrastructure has really been um, uh, developed well. Our um, chief uh, public affairs and development officer, Kathy Vick, really does a great job for us outside of the gate. A lot of this, as I mentioned, was due to the, the widening of the Panama Canal, anticipating that more larger ships would be coming through, that holding a lot more container space than other ships were able to be able to come through the canal. Uh, are you seeing those kinds of capacities now? And, are, and is, it, is it paying off for you, all the investments that you've made? Do you anticipate that will continue to increase in the future? It has, Dave. I mean, um, I, I don't want to date myself, but when, when, when I started in this business, the three and 4,000 TE vessel was the workhorse of the East Coast. What we're seeing now are the eight and nines and the tens. They have become the workhorses of the East Coast. And so we're seeing vessels upwards of 13,000, 14,000 TEs on a regular basis. These are no longer maiden journeys any longer. These are, these are, these are regular things that are occurring. So, so what do you have? You've got the, the, the same amount of demand from, from our customers. They want their freight in the same way that they got it when the vessels were three to five to 7,000 TEUs. But now with a with a with a with a with a vessel that's 13,000, 14,000 TEUs, you can imagine the transfer of cargo is much greater in a shorter amount of time. 
those demands to get that freight either to the inland areas of our country or to the local areas has been met by the Port of Virginia. It's done so through these improvements, the use of technology, uh, the uh, the cooperative nature of our agreements with our labor here, um, and the leadership that we have had from both in the Port of Virginia's um, uh, organization and outside. Our legislators have fully supported these moves, whether it be dredging or increased infrastructure. What are the key advantages to coming to the East Coast, for uh, especially for East and, and Central markets, as opposed to coming to West Coast ports? Well, I, w- I would tell you two, two things. All right, so wh- whatever that number is, that X percent of population east of the Mississippi, obviously we have access into the heartland within, within two days, right, when it leaves our port. The other thing is congestion. We are simply not congested. And yes, did we go through our bouts of congestion? We sure did, but those are long gone. And what we've done is we've, in, we've, we've imparted systems like the reservation system. We are looking at ways to optimize our berthing right now. We know what we need to do on our rail site. So all these things are making for fluid flow of, um, of freight. That's what's key to coming to the, to the East Coast right now, that fluid flow of freight. We have a new administration in Washington. Um, do you feel that there will be any legislation that you're hoping to get out of the new Biden administration or anything that you might even be fearing that may happen? Or- yeah, Dave. So I, I don't know if there's anything that I fear from, from the new administration. I'm excited uh, with regard to their approach on harbor deepening. Obviously, the harbor maintenance tax is a big item for us. Uh, it's not just important that, you know, it's great. We're going to get this this 55-foot channel deepening. We are actually going to get a passing lane out in our channel, which is so important to vessel operations, both, you know, civilian and military, especially in our area. But what we're also getting is the, 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 the use of this harbor maintenance tax, which allows us to maintain those depths, which allows us to keep it clear, uh, keep, keep those depths clear against our berth. So that's just really key. And I know that the Biden administration um, will uh, continue to support the use, the proper use of harbor maintenance tax. So we're excited about that. We've talked about the uh, capacity issues and, and how difficult the last couple of months have been as we've been ramming up to the holiday season and restocking inventories. We're past the holidays now. So what do you anticipate for the rest of 2021? So I think I think the rest of 2021 will provide us with with I don't see we'll, I don't I don't believe we'll see the growth that we saw the last five months. I think we'll we'll still see some growth. It will be a little bit muted. However, I believe that with this new administration and the continued confidence, as you're starting to hear about a, a planned rollout of vaccine, about how we're going to approach um, you know this pandemic, I think consumer confidence will slowly begin to return. With that return comes, you know, comes consumerism. So we're we are actually uh, looking at this very positively down the line. So we've had a very good, let's call it, first half of our fiscal year, which uh, just ended in um, in December, and we're still looking for growth in the remaining six months of our fiscal year and beyond that. So we have a very positive outlook, and as a result, we're continuing to do things on the marine facilities to anticipate that growth. So I, we're, we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to not only a good uh, 2021, but we're also we're, we're looking for that growth to continue into 2022. That's great. And for our listeners, if you'd like additional information on the Port of Virginia, you could just go simply to portofvirginia.com to find that. Thank you for being with us today, Joe. Thanks, Dave, and thanks for all you guys do.
Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Ben, you did an interview with an international law firm discussing U.S. trade relations with China. What did you talk about? Well, that's right, Dave. And uh, it, it's really it's the flip side of the coin from what our guest at the Port of Virginia was just talking about. Um, he'd mentioned some of the congestion that we've seen on the West Coast with container ships and the importance of having a fluid flow of freight. Um, of course, China has for years been known as a global manufacturing hub where companies from any nation could have all their goods built faster and cheaper than doing it at home, even when the cost of shipping is factored in. And that's where those containers come back to U.S. shores, as we were discussing. For U.S. businesses, uh, that relationship was challenged uh, as an understatement in 2020, uh, first by a trade war and, and uh, retaliatory tariffs between the two countries. Uh, and then also, of course, by the pandemic, uh, which really shut down manufacturing and canceled a lot of travel and freight routes. Uh, and believe it or not, 2021 could add even more layers of complexity to that U.S.-China relationship. Uh, I spoke with Sarah Rathke, and she's a partner at the international law firm Squire Patton Boggs, and she runs the firm's uh, U.S. supply chain practice. So Rathke said uh, that 2021 could be uh, what she called a year of reckoning between the two countries. Uh, forcing a lot of companies to maybe look at making changes to their supply chains. Uh, for one thing, uh, right sitting here today, we're just a few weeks away from Chinese New Year, also known as Lunar New Year, which starts February 12th and typically leads the whole enormous nation of China to shut down uh, for virtually for two weeks, with factories closing and businesses coming to a stop. Um, typically, uh, people travel to their hometowns. Uh, it, of course, it's hard to predict if that'll still happen under pandemic conditions, but uh, but we'll soon see. Uh, but this year, China is coming under increased moral pressure as well for its behavior toward two minority groups that it's trying to pull into its central government. Uh, that's the Uyghurs and the Tibetans, um, who are both on the country's uh, big Western front. Uh, and that could lead to consumer pressure for uh, some businesses to pull out of China. Uh, so the, as well, Another reason um, that Rathke uh, was pointing to for possible troubles is that there continue to be large problems in China with legal issues, uh, particularly around protections for physical property, intellectual property is a big concern, and contractual rights. Ben, what options do companies have to work around those challenges? Yeah, it, it's a thorny problem um, because there are certain products uh, like technology components, like LED computer screens, where China is virtually the sole supplier in the world uh, at, at that uh, rate of production. Uh, so there's nowhere else to source those things uh, at the volumes that, that America is looking for. Um, some companies in the US were already trying to diversify their trade routes uh, through what uh, has been called a quote, China plus one strategy, where they might outsource some manufacturing to different countries, uh, be it Vietnam or Taiwan or India or Mexico. But Rathke pointed out that none of those options has China's combination of modern infrastructure at ports and rails uh, and its huge and well-trained labor force. So that could really leave many companies looking at uh, other options like increased automation in logistics and manufacturing uh, to do the work themselves or reshoring uh, where they move business units uh, back to the U.S. Well, there certainly does seem to be a number of factors that's driving nearshoring and reshoring. And most of the predictions I have seen is that the Biden administration will not really change our policies regarding China too quickly, if at all. Uh, that, that, that's what I've been seeing as well so far, Dave. Yep, it's uh, definitely going to be a, a fascinating uh, couple of months coming up here. Thanks, Ben.
And Victoria, it looks like the tight capacity in the truckload market is something we're going to have to learn to live with for some time. You wrote about that this week. Can you share what you reported? Sure, Dave. Happy to. So just like we've been talking about here, we continue to hear about the challenges ahead across the logistics sector as the new year unfolds. And this week, truckload carrier U.S. Express released a forecast summing up what it sees as the key issues on the horizon for the trucking industry. Top on the list um, is the recurring theme of reduced capacity, as you said. And uh, the company said it expects capacity to remain constrained due in large part to a driver shortage we've heard a lot about. Um, and that's been exacerbated by a host of challenges related to the pandemic. Many of those will continue to make it hard to find drivers, they say, and it could also lead to higher pay for those drivers that are available. The forecast also predicts that contract and spot rates are likely to climb in 2021 as well. The combination of fewer drivers, the continued increase in freight demand and reduced capacity, they said, will spur contract rate increases of between 8% and 15%, while spot rates, they say, are likely to trend upward through the fall. Did they have any thoughts on the overall economic outlook? Yes, absolutely. And it's it's kind of similar to what um, your, our guest said in your interview earlier. They, they said they expect an economic recovery this year, but they think growth will be slower in the early part of the year as the pandemic challenges linger, especially um, issues you know around the slow rollout of the uh, COVID-19 vaccines. But they're optimistic for a return to what they called steady growth overall into the second half of the year. Um, all that said, you know, demand for freight remains hot, and like many other uh, others in the industry, um, they, they said many of the changes in, in the buying behaviors we've seen in the last year are here to stay and likely to continue to drive that demand. Yeah, it certainly does seem to be the perfect storm of factors that will continue to leave carriers in the driver's seats for now. Thanks, Victoria. Yes. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Thanks, Dave. I enjoyed it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And again, our thanks to Joe Ruddy of the Virginia Port Authority for being with us today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to rate this podcast if your podcast platform allows for that. We appreciate your feedback. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by DCV-TV. Be sure to check out the latest videos on DCVTV.com, the largest and best source of videos for the supply chain industry. Stop by often to see the latest uploads. Again, go to DCVTV.com to view them. We encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. We'll be back again next week when our guest will be Melinda McLaughlin of Prologis, who will discuss the rising demand for warehouse space and how it is changing. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.